enough, you are bad enough, you are bold enough, you are loving enough, that your grace and your mercy never stop short, that there is no sin that your grace cannot cover, and there is no mistake in, your, in my past that your mercy has not forgiven. God, I thank you that your love endures forever. And God, we are so thankful and so mindful, God, that, that with you, God, there is no shortage of love. There is no short supply of grace. But God, you just continue to love us and love us and love us, and you give us one chance, and then you give us another chance, and then you give us a third chance. And God, some of us are on our 500th chance, but God, your grace never runs out. And so God, we are so thankful. God, let us just say we appreciate you. Even when we take you for granted, even when we live our life without uttering the words, thank you. God, we are thankful that your love and your grace and your mercy endures forever. Now, God, we need more of you. There's a whole lot of stuff that the world is telling us we need more of, but ultimately, God, we know we need more of you. So, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. As we get into your word, God, I pray that you would help us to leave here with more of you than when we walk through the door. And we'll be ever so mindful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen, amen, and amen. Well, good morning, Tri-Cities Church. You all look beautiful as always. You look like you kind of have like a spring break freshness to you. Some of us have had an opportunity to, to vacation, and some people are still on vacation, and so uh, we're thankful that God gives rest, but if you are uh, a first-time guest or if you've been with us a couple of times, my name is Lamar. I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Cities Church. We are thankful that you chose to join us. We understand there are plenty awesome places to worship in the area, and so we're thankful that you chose us. And there's something on your seat called a connection card. If you can fill that out and give us more information about yourself, just so we can keep in touch with you and let you know what's going on at Tri-Cities Church. We believe that God is doing some incredible things, and we want you to be a part of that. So if this is your first time with us, we are in week four of a series that we're calling Seven. And the premise of this series, its subtitle is Seven Questions That Will Change Your Life. And it's because the sort of the premise of this series is that I don't know if you ever noticed this, that Jesus never really answers a question. Uh, every time you read about Jesus and someone asks him a question, he always comes back with another question. As a matter of fact, I said this on week three, and I may be a little bit off my calculation. I only counted three times where Jesus directly answered a question. As a matter of fact, Jewish rabbis were trained in that way uh, in that day to get us to look at some of the questions. And while I may have many questions for God, and you should, God says, come, let's reason together. And God wants us to bring our questions, but this series is about what happens when God has a question for you. What happens when it's not our turn to ask a question, but it's Jesus' turn to ask a question for us. So we are in week four, and we've just been kind of going through some of the questions that Jesus asked people along his earthly ministry and looking at how some of those questions can help change our life. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. You can go on the website and find those. Uh, but last week, here's where we sort of landed last week. We talked about last week that we live in the age of outrage and the age of offense. That everybody's mad about something. 
And we found out that Jesus was even accused of being offensive when he told his followers, you got to eat this bread with my body and you got to drink this blood. And they say, whoa, that's weird. We don't want to like that's some vampire walking dead type stuff. We're not feeling that. And so Jesus says, are you offended? And what we learned is, is that some of our anger problems might actually be hunger problems. That the reason why they were offended is because they kept asking Jesus for bread. Remember, you gave us a fish and the loaves and we had bread. And then they said Moses gave our people bread in the desert and we were, were hungry. And so last week we talked about the fact that some of our anger is a result of our hunger. And Jesus says the only way you're going to get rid of that, the only way you'll not be so easily offended is if you stop being hungry for everybody else's agreement and applause and everybody to applaud you and give you accolades. Let me be the person who you get your significance from. And so last week we talked about hunger. And, and it, it sort of dovetails nicely into today's question because last week we talked about hunger and this desire for more, like we want more, like I want people to recognize me more. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want to be appreciated more. And hunger has a way of telling you more. Like when you're sitting around and your stomach tells you that you're hungry, what it's saying is we need more fuel. We need more food. We need more. And that's sort of the world that we live in because let's be honest, every time you sit down in front of a computer or a phone or the TV, there's a commercial that's telling you you need more. Get the newest phone. Even though your phone works perfectly fine, you need something better. You know, we're, we're the kind of the culture where we tear up stuff that works perfectly good so that we can replace it with something better because the culture has told us more. Like, we're not only hungry for applause and we're not only hungry for agreement, we're hungry for more and more and more. And some of us know that story. That's what kind of led us to the situation that we're in right now where I'm trying to pay off some of that more that I bought last year. If I'm talking to you, look straight ahead. And we are just a society that, that needs more. There's this, uh, this monster that I learned that lives in our lives. I call it the more monster. It is this monster that, that talks to you in your mind that tells you more, more, more. I need more. Get more. Have more. Buy more. Here's the problem with the more monster. The more monster eats up all of your margin. You know, margin, the space between your load and your limits is the space. You know, when you grew up in school, they told you to write inside the margins. This is where you need to stay. This is where you can comfortably make this work. This is where you can comfortably make this work. And some of us have no time, no energy, no money, because a more mar monster has eaten up all our margin. And we're crossing the line consistently because we don't even know where the line is anymore. The more monster has told you more, 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 and I'm hungry. And it leads to this question today because what the more monster does is it eats up our margin and our mental stability and it creates something called worry. As a matter of fact, worry is actually the fear of not enough. It's the fear that I don't have enough and I'm never going to have enough. And can I just tell you this? Our culture, we are scared of scarcity. And the reason why you want more is because you think, okay, some of y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, so let me give you an example. You know when we have our famous snowstorms here in the A, where the whole city shuts down and it's like the apocalypse. And there's, there's one thing that's guaranteed to happen when they say there's going to be ice or snow. 
What is it? Everybody's going to go to the store and get two things. Bread and milk. And I used to say, I'm wondering what y'all are making sandwiches with because there's plenty of sandwich meat. There's like plenty of peanut butter and jelly. I don't know if y'all making milk sandwiches. I don't know why we need bread and milk. You don't even drink milk. You're lactose intolerant. And you're in the grocery store buying bread and milk because we're scared of scarcity. And I will worry about things that may never happen and go over the margin and create opportunities for myself that I don't even need. I will buy stuff that I don't even eat because I'm scared there's not going to be enough. You know what I'm talking about. And all that milk is spoiling and the bread is stale because we're scared of scarcity. And it leads to this situation that Jesus wants to deal with and this question. I'm going to give you the question first, and we're going to unpack it. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Here's a question. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Because you're so worried about not having enough. You're so scared of scarcity. And we've allowed the more monster to tell us we need more. And I have no margin. And I'm overspent. I'm over the limit. And I'm exhausted. And I'm worried. And Jesus says, I got a question for you. How's that working? Not only are you angry and hungry, but you're worried all the time. Okay, straw poll. How many of you in here, just throw your hands up. We family. It's cool. Uh, how many of you in here are worried about something right now? Throw your hands up in the air. Okay, wave them like, okay, everybody who didn't raise their hand is worried that somebody in here is going to judge you, so you're lying. <laughs> Everybody's worried about something. Just like last week we said we are angry about something. Most of us are worried about something. And here's the question Jesus asked, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? You want to know why we worry? Because the moral monster has told us that doing that will get us more. Jesus says, but uh, worry actually doesn't give you more of anything except more trouble. As a matter of fact, worry never adds more of what you're actually worrying about. Jesus says, here's our question for this morning. Has worry actually worked? Come on, think about it. All the stuff that you're stressing out about, I'm not talking about there are people who have real anxiety disorders and there are people who really have uh, issues that need medical attention. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're up at night worried about stuff that you can't control. Jesus says, here's a question for you this morning. Here's a question. We're going to unpack it. He says, does worry even work? All the stuff that you've been worried about, has it ever actually gotten you more of what you've actually been worried about? I'm worried about money, but has it actually gotten you more money? I'm worried about time, but has it given you any more time? Jesus says, worry has the ability to rob you of your moments, and it actually allows us to miss out on what God is doing. He says, worry cannot add one single moment to your life. What are you stressing out about? I got to tell you, that's probably next to us living in the age of outrage. We also live in the age where we are scared of scarcity. I'm scared that there's not going to be enough. Let me tell you what worry actually does add. 
Uh, according to doctors, this is some, these are just a few of the symptoms that chronic worrying can add to your life. You ready for what worry will actually get you? It says uh, it can result in dizziness, dry mouth, fatigue, irregular heartbeat, headaches, irritability. That's why some of you last week, when I talked about being mad, some of that is because you're worried all the time. And nausea, that's just a few of the things that it actually adds to our life. And Jesus says, I'm going to ask you the question again. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No worry gets us nowhere. And so let's sort of unpack this because I want to help us to understand the impact of worry. But more than anything else, I want us to understand where it comes from and why Jesus is teaching and why he asked the question, is it even working? Come on now. Some of us, we continue to do stuff and we know it doesn't work. And I got to tell you, worrying doesn't work. And Jesus does something interesting in this discourse because he's helping us with this question to deal with this situation of worry. So, so, so let me give you a biblical definition. This is literally what the word worry means when Jesus says it in Greek. Worry is defined as distracted cares. It is, watch this, the result of having multiple cares and multiple causes, and it means that basically you have your eyes focused on too many different futures. You know what I'm talking about. I once heard... Uh, someone say that worry is the misuse of the imagination. That God, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, has planted in the human heart this concept called eternity. In the Hebrew, it's infinity. And God places something on the inside of us that gives us the ability to see past what we currently see. It gives us the ability to see past our present circumstances. Solomon says God gave that gift to human beings. No other part of creation got that. That's why your dog right now is not worried about what he's going to do tomorrow. You know what I'm talking about. I have never seen a dog popping Xanax. Because they just know that my master's going to take care of me. They're not concerned. Jesus says that, that we have this thing in us where we can forecast. That means that when you have problems, when you have predicaments, when you have obstacles, he's given us this gift to be able to see past it. And when we misuse that gift to predict the future, it's called worry. When you use it the way that God intended, it's called hope. When you misuse what God gave us, to predict the outcome of the future. It's called worry. It's distracted cares. It's having your eyes on too many different futures. Maybe that's the reason why I feel, as James calls, double-minded. You know what I'm talking about where James says a double-minded man or woman is unstable in all their ways. I got my eyes on too many different futures. Jesus says you can care about stuff, but you're so distracted, your care is going everywhere. Can I just tell you something? Um, and maybe, maybe this is going to come out a little bit wrong, but some of y'all, your problem is not that you don't care. Some of your problem is you care too much. That's why Peter says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Jesus says, maybe some of the reason that you're struggling is not that you don't care at all. And I realize that there's a whole generation of people who are apathetic. But for most of us, our issue is not that we don't care. Most of us, our issue is you care too much. Jesus said, I'll take care of it. I, I got you. I, I'm going to take care of you. You care too much about stuff that I've already told you I'm going to take care of. And he says, what, what, what has that gotten you? 
it's, it's distracted cares. It's, it's having my focus on too many things at one time. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6, 22. I may have given them the wrong verse, but this is Matthew 6, 22. Uh, he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Okay, so now Jesus is breaking down. I'm backing up. He's breaking down. Let me tell you where this comes from. He says, your eye is a gateway into your body. When your eyes are good, everything else is working right. What are you saying, Jesus? Maybe some of your panic, watch this, is almost always the result of your perspective. Because I've been looking at the wrong stuff. And when I have my eyes on too many different things, it causes me to be concerned about things that God already said he would take care of. He says, let's start with your eye. You want to know where the source of most of your worry comes from? Most of your panic comes from having the wrong perspective. When your eye is bad, everything else is bad. When I'm focused on the world telling me more, 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 be scared that there's never going to be enough. Be scared that there's going to be no milk or bread because the ice is coming. And then I focus and have the wrong perspective. And Jesus says, let me tell you where it starts. When your perspective is bad, that's the beginning of all your panic. When your eyes are focused on too many things at one time, on things that God didn't ask us to be focused on. I'm going to say this again. Your panic is almost always the result of your perspective. But then Jesus does something interesting. So I want us to go to work this morning because he does something interesting. He gives us what I believe are the three underlying underlying causes for worry. He says you got to get your perspective right, but here are three things that you got to get the right perspective on. If you want to deal with this issue of worry, because we already decided it's not working. It's stressing you out, hair's falling out, you're angry, mad, lips twisted, arms folded, looking like a pit bull, nobody can even say good morning to you because you're stressed out. He says, here are three things that you got to get the right perspective about. You ready? I'm going to give it to you up front, then we're going to unpack it. Number one, you've got to get the right perspective because most of us have an underlying cause of self-preservation. He says the second thing is we're worried about our self-image. And then the last thing that causes us to worry is a sense of self-righteousness. Okay. Some of y'all looking at me funny, so you need some Bible. We're going to go right back to the text. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 32. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, that is why I tell you you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you? far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? That's our question this morning. How is your worrying working for you? Verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon and all his glory. You do know that Solomon was considered to be one of the richest men who ever lived. He says, as rich as Solomon was and as fly as his crib was and as fly as his outfits were, the lilies of the field dressed better than Solomon. 
He says they don't make clothing, yet Solomon in his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly take care of you. Why do you have so little faith? So he goes at it again. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Listen to this. This kind of pierced me in the heart. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. And I'm going to read this for good measure. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Three things Jesus points out is our source of worry. He says you got to get the right perspective. So here's what I want you to understand. Here's three things that are causing us to have the wrong perspective. Number one, he says we are concerned with self-preservation. What are you talking about, Pastor? It's right there in the text. He says you're asking yourself, what will we eat? What will we drink? How will I make sure that I'm taking care of myself? How do I make sure that I'm preserving myself? How do I make sure that I'm preserving my road to success? How do I make sure that I'm preserving even my physical health? How do I make sure that I'm preserving me? That question is based on self-preservation. What will I eat? What will I drink? What about me? He says, part of the problem is, is that my whole goal in life is to preserve me. And maybe when I'm the center of everything in my universe, then I'm constantly worrying about me. What will I eat? What will I drink? Do you notice that he says, uh, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink. Don't worry about preserving yourself. Don't worry about taking care of yourself. Don't worry about what that looks like because God has already promised that he's going to take care of you. Can I just tell you one of the perspectives that we have that's causing us to worry is that we are focused and drawn away in our tendency and our need for survival and or success. Let me just say this to you. Self-preservation is our obsession with protecting and providing for ourselves. You say, wait a minute, I got to. I got to make sure I'm all right. I'm not saying don't work because I think it was Peter that said, if you don't work, you don't eat. But, but there's this thing that draws us away from understanding that God is our ultimate protector and provider when I think it's my job. Can I just break it down for you? The only reason why you're even working is because God decided that that's going to be the vehicle that he gives you to be able to provide for yourself. You didn't get that job by yourself. You didn't have the qualifications. You didn't have the skills. God says, I'm in charge of making sure that you're fed and that you eat. You're not in charge of preserving yourself. And so God will create avenues and vehicles. And the problem is sometimes we start worshiping the resource and we forget about the source. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. Don't be so concerned with self-preservation. That's why I love what David does in the 23rd Psalm. Most of us know it. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he goes on to say, uh, some versions say, I have all I need. Some say, I shall not want. Uh, and, And what David is doing is he's setting a course for understanding how to walk through this life. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. 
Don't miss that because David's not saying the Lord was. He's not saying the Lord's going to be that whatever he's dealing with, we don't always know what David's dealing with when he wrote these Psalms, but whatever he's dealing with, it's happening right now. This is a present situation that he's in. And the first thing that he says to himself to encourage himself is the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I shall not want. Okay, some of y'all not really feeling it. And so uh, when you read the psalm, it talks about that God leads him uh, to pastures where he can eat. And so uh, you sort of get this image that the shepherd is out in this grassy field and the sheep are just grazing all day long. But if you've ever been over in the Middle East, then you'll understand that the image that we have as Westerners is not exactly what it looks like. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Middle East, there are no grassy knolls. And so they would walk through literally the desert, and the shepherd's job was to lead and guide them. And so here's what the shepherd did. The shepherd was very skilled at helping to find patches of pasture because the desert area was next to the sea. And so the water, uh, the moisture would roll off of the water, and then only in places under rocks and in shadowy places was where grass would grow up. And the only person who had the insight and the ability and the skill to help lead the sheep to places where they can be satisfied was the shepherd. Because because the sheep are looking out on this rocky land and this desert and this hot sun thinking, where am I going to find some food? But when the shepherd shows up, okay, some of y'all, let's have church. When the shepherd shows up, the shepherd knows how to lead you to under a rock. Here goes a green pasture. Okay, let's go on the side of this hill. Here goes another pasture. And he says that while it might not be more than I need, it's always enough for this moment. Give us this day. Our daily bread, the Lord is my shepherd. And when the shepherd shows up, the shepherd can help you navigate places that look dry and look barren. It looks like I'm not going to make it. You know what I'm talking about. When I'm trying to make my money and make the ends meet, and I really want them to overlap when my change is strange, my dollars are funny. You know what I'm talking about. And I don't really know how I'm going to make it from week to week to week. That's the image that David is playing. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. When it looks like there's never enough, when it looks like I should be afraid that there's not enough, when it looks like there's nothing left, the shepherd shows up and he leads me to play where I can be satisfied. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but for today, God will provide. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I have everything I need. Got to tell you that some of us, we are so concerned about the resource that God uses to bless us that we forgot that the Lord is my shepherd. I remember years ago I was working, uh, this is pre-ministry, years ago I used to work for Kmart uh, in management and at the time we were closing stores uh, and I remember I, I went to a new store and this is before I had uh, tax, some people say I still don't have any, but this is before I had the little bit that I do have. <laughs> and I got to that store and I said, you guys know this store is closing, right? Don't say that, I said, it's, it's gonna close, I already know it. <laughs> and so, sure enough, Three months into it, they said, we're going to close your store. I told you, I was trying to prepare you. I was trying to get you, you know, sharpen up your resume. Don't get comfortable. And I remember people used to come to my office because I'd walk around. And they would say, man, you don't look concerned at all uh, that you're about to lose your job. And here's what I told them. I was looking for a job when I found this one. Some of y'all just missed that. 
the Lord is my shepherd. And while I might not have a job when this is over, the same way that God gave me this job in the first place is the same way that he'll take care of me after these doors shut. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Jesus says, stop worrying about God taking care of you. He says that, um, that, that those things and those thoughts are dominated by unbelievers, that people who don't even really know God, who, who are thinking about, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? This self-preservation, I don't, I don't understand how I'm going to take care of myself. David says like this, the Lord is your shepherd. So number one, we got to get a better perspective on self-preservation, that it's, it's not my job to take care of myself. I think I need to say that again. It has never been your job to take care of yourself. That God has always been 100% responsible for meeting your needs. And my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. You know why that's good? Because you ain't got no riches. (laughs) The stuff that you need, I'm not qualified to provide for myself. Jesus says, no, 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 don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Let go of that that tendency to try to protect and provide for yourself. Here's the second thing. He says, uh, we got a problem with self-image. Remember, he says, uh, the other question that we have is, what will I wear? Can I be real with y'all? This is the one that got me, because y'all know y'all pastor like the dress. (laughs) Like, I like shoes. I like clothes. I love how Paul says uh, to Timothy, he says to Timothy, teach those among you who are rich to do good with your money. Y'all missed that. He says, teach them to do good, not look good. Because we got a problem with self-image, don't we? Jesus says, don't think about what you'll wear. I'm so concerned about my self-image. And most of us, maybe that's not the thing. Maybe it's not about clothes. But can I just be honest with you? Some of us, we didn't even raise our hand when I said that we're worrying because I'm worried about how that'll look. See, it's deeper than clothes. Jesus says it's not just about what you wear. It's about what you believe people will think about you. And some of us are worried about what people will think about us, and those people are not even thinking about you. You know, when you're younger, you worry about uh, what people think, and then when you're older, you realize they weren't thinking about you at all anyway. And can we be honest? Some of us, we have a problem with self-image because we're overly concerned about what we will look like if. What will it look like if? What will it look like if they bought a new house and I don't get one? What would it look like if they got a new car and I don't have one? What would it look like if their kids get into this school and mine don't? Worry, worry, worry about what other people think. Jesus says don't worry about your self-image. The only image you should worry about looking like is the image of Christ. That's why I love in Luke chapter 3 verse 15 and John chapter 1 verse 19 uh, it talks about this guy John the Baptist you probably know him he was a guy who was Jesus cousin he was a forerunner and in both of those stories it says that Jewish leaders went out to meet John and um, John looked so much like Jesus they thought John was Jesus you remember the story they went out and said uh, John's baptizing he's doing his thing and they came out there and John had to say I'm not the Messiah Why did they think that was him? Because he looked so much like Jesus that he got mistaken for Jesus. When was the last time somebody mistook you for Jesus? 
When was the last time somebody said, no, no, when I had to convince people, I, I'm not him, but I know him. I, I'm not him, but I know him. John says, I know you think I'm him, but I'm not. But what would it look like if we looked so much like Jesus, people thought we were him? What if the only image that we cared about bearing is the image of Christ? John says, I, I'm, I'm not him, but I do know him. John goes on to say in John 30, John 3.30, he says, uh, he must increase, this is his formula for looking like Jesus, so I must decrease. In other words, less of me, we sung it this morning, more of you. Less of me worrying about my own self-image and more of me concerned about if I'm looking like Jesus. Do I look like the Jesus in the Bible? Am I loving people like Jesus? Am I caring for people? Am I extending grace? Do I look like Jesus? I'm not concerned about what I look like to you. Watch this. The only look that should concern us is looking more like Jesus. And Maybe some of my worry is because I'm concerned about what people think about me. How is that going to look if... You know how I am. I'm not going to get in your business. Just look straight ahead, but you know what I'm talking about. These are the things that we say to ourselves that we don't tell anybody else. This is the reason why I do the things that I do. Some of us are motivated simply by impressing other people. And I got to tell you, it'll kill you. If you think your job is to project a certain image for someone else so that they will love you, so that they will like you, so that they will appreciate you, so that they will acknowledge you, so that they will promote you, so that they will love you. Jesus says, if you're worried about that, you're going to be worried. And I got a question for you. How has that been working for you? Because the very people you're trying to impress will step on your back on their way up the ladder. Jesus says, you want to look like something, look like me. Don't worry about what you wear. Okay, you still with me? Here's the last thing, and then we'll get ready to roll out. He says, uh, then we got a problem with self-righteousness. Okay, where is that at, Pastor? Because I saw, I saw the, the self-preservation. I saw the self-image. Where is self-righteousness? He says, remember, he says, look at the birds. He says, they don't plant. They don't harvest. As a matter of fact, they don't work. They don't do anything. Yet, God loves them. Okay, that's, that's grace. You just missed it because he says, they don't do anything to earn what God gave them. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't work. They don't do a doggone thing. And here you are trying to work your way into God's love. He says they don't even do anything, and God still takes care of them. That what they get from God, watch this, is not the result of their own effort. You want to know when you think that what you get from God is the result of your own, own effort? You know what that leads to? Self-righteousness. In other words, I believe in the back of my mind that manufacturing and maintaining my right standing with God is up to me. Can I let you in on a secret? If you believe that you have to work your way into God's good graces, if you believe that it's your responsibility to manufacture and maintain your own right standing with God, it will kill you. You know how I know? Kill Jesus. He died so you can be right with God. And Jesus is saying, if I already died so you can be right with God, why are you killing yourself? Let it go. He says the birds get the same amount of love from God Watch this, because our labor doesn't cause God's love. And trying to prove your worth to God will only cause you to worry 
more. Some of us don't even realize that some of our embedded theology, someone has taught us, do this and God will love you. And while, while I don't say it out loud, that's the reason why I feel guilty when I don't do. You know what I'm talking about. When, I, when I'm not able to do this and when I'm not able to do that because somewhere along the way somebody has taught me that God gives and blesses based on my performance. He says the birds don't do a doggone thing and I still bless them. It has never been up to you to manufacture your right standing with God. That's called self-righteousness. We are not responsible for manufacturing or maintaining our own righteousness. Okay, so let's work through this. Because Jesus does give her an answer. There's a, there's a perspective that he wants us to have. Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Let me read this for you. I'll read it again. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need 34, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Some of us don't even realize we're inviting tomorrow's trouble today. He says, you already got enough stuff to do today. I remember I had to tell someone that used to work for me that uh, they felt like, oh, I have to do all this stuff, or my pastor's going to be mad with me, and I got to make sure. And I said, look, 24 hours is 24 hours for a reason. Because God never intended for you to do everything in one day. Even God didn't create the heavens and the earth in one day. And there's a reason why there's 24 hours. Because you're not going to get it all done today. Why are you worried about bringing tomorrow's problems into a day that's already filled with stuff you can't even accomplish? Jesus says, here's the here's solution for your perspective. You ready? Then we'll roll out. He says that because, remember, he says it's, it's, about, uh, it's about the eyes. Our, our perspective is wrong. And so here's how he guess, helps us manage worry. Number one, he says, seek the kingdom first. That God never asks for exclusivity, but he does demand priority. Because he knows that there are a lot of things that are going to compete for your affection and your attention. But he says, all I want you to do is put me first. You remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and he removed them from Egypt. And he says, now I got you out of Egypt. So now I got to get the Egypt out of you because you've been slaving away for your whole life trying to please what the Egyptians thought was God. He says, now I got to work that out of you. He gave them 10 values to live by. The first thing he told them was, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because there's other stuff that I know is going to compete for your affection. But here's how you make sure you never worry a day in your life. Put me first. Seek the kingdom first. Then he says, live for God, not for people. Here's the third thing. Tackle today. You got enough stuff to worry about today without thinking about what needs to happen tomorrow. He says, seek God's kingdom, put God first, don't worry about what people think of you, tackle today, and here's the last thing, trust God to take care of you. So let me ask a question again as I get ready to pray. How has the worry been working for you? Probably hasn't been working out too well, has it? 
I probably got all the stuff that I just talked about, dizziness, dry mouth, nausea, I can't sleep at night, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. I won't even raise my hand and say I'm worrying because I'm scared what people will think. How's it working? Jesus says, look, work on this. Work on your need for self-preservation. Work on your need to protect your own image and work on your sense of self-righteousness and then put me first. And everything you need, did you catch that? He'll add it to you. No need to worry. God says, I got you. As long as you put me first, everything you need, he will supply. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word and to learn something that is spiritual yet practical. Because, God, you know there are many of us in here this morning who were constantly worrying about what we will eat, what we will drink, what will we wear, how will we continue to work, how will we make sure that our future is secure, when you've already given us the answer that you said you are our shepherd and that you will lead us to places where we can be satisfied. And so, God, I'm praying right now for anyone that's under the sound of my voice who consistently struggles with worry, with worrying about all sorts of things that you've already promised in your word that you would take care of. There are people here this morning who are worried about their children. There are people that are worried about their finances, people who are worried about their marriages, people who are worried about their education. God, there are all types of worries in this room. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to lay down our cares at your feet this morning. Because you said in your word that we should cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. And so, God, as we prepare to approach the table for Holy Communion, let this be a reminder for us of the extent to which Jesus went to break us free from the consequences of sin. One of such consequences is constantly worrying about where we stand with you. God, help us to understand that it's not uh, our responsibility to maintain our right standing with you, but to continually move towards bearing the image of Christ and then allowing you, God, to give us all that we need as we seek you first. And so make this moment for us holy as we prepare to celebrate what we've been given and also as an opportunity to give to your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.